0: good morning everyone welcome to church uh, my name is Chris senior pastor here at Trinity and we're so so thankful to have you in God's house I want to just say that we're um, we're aware of how full it is in here and um, we're going to be uh, really prayerfully hoping to, to do a couple of things to address uh, that. So um, I want you to know that that we have a, a nine o'clock service and there's only just a little more room than there is here. It's about as full as this, but there's still some space there. And then a service that I'm really excited about, our six o'clock PM service. We've had to move it from the chapel into here because that service has been uh, growing and it's such a healthy thing. And so in um, our evening service is just like our morning. So it's like, say you don't like kids or something. Uh, you won't have to deal with them as much in the evening as you do in the daytime, so we would invite you to come if you want a little bit more elbow room. Uh, we also are aware that almost certainly in the fall we're going to be going to four services here at Trinity, which will mean three in the morning and that one at night. And then hopefully God willing we'll be able to expand this building. We've got a few thousand square feet in this building that have not been, uh, touched. They're warehouse spaces and we're going to need to make more kids rooms probably and maybe even make our sanctuary a little bit bigger if that's the plan we go with. So there are a lot of things coming. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, we're, also actively praying and hoping that God's going to continue to give us traction in the arena of church planting. Y'all, we have got to send churches out of this church. I, I just want to say this. If the Lord is growing this place, and it seems like he is, he's doing that not just so that we can figure on biggering, as uh, Dr. Seuss once said, but that we can be the kinds of people who also, while stewarding our growth, will start new churches. And so that means probably... Um, you're going to be invited in the next year to two to be a part of something coming out of this place. And I just want to say that's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about advancement. It's about new things. So God help us to be good stewards. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. It's like Jesus' greatest hit. So it's terrifying to preach a sermon on uh the greatest sermon of Jesus. I, I just want to say this about Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. Um, it, it is my conviction, uh, my deep conviction that Jesus Christ is the smartest man to ever live. Um, I believe that the water, it's like fish don't know they're wet, um, and and the 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 culture in which we live uh, the culture that says that justice for the poor matters, um, that, that humility is a virtue that should be honored. Um, these virtues on which our civilization is founded, that we understand, come from the lips and teaching of Jesus. So I just want to say to you, I think Matthew 5, 6, and 7 provide um, essentially the basis of Western civilization. Um, Jesus has some stuff to say, y'all. And it's so pervasive that many of us have even stopped thinking about it. Um, y'all, that goodness in our world, as broken as our systems are that try to make right, right, to, to protect the innocent and to guard the vulnerable, to not just be ruthless, all of that comes from the heart and the lips and the teaching of Jesus. And so we're going to honor a part of that, but I will admit to you, it is very intimidating to preach. Um, about the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. So I'm not going to try to go through every line and verse in these 12. I'm not going to give you like a chronicling of everything. We're going to try to hit it in as high level as possible to get you thinking about the right things. So 12 verses. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I ask for your grace to take serious the word of God. I pray, Jesus, that we would do some sense of justice to the beauty and the truth that fall from your lips and emerge from your heart. God, we know that this is too much for us, that there is too much here for us to take in. And so what we ask for today is the ability to think deep thoughts about you, the kind of thoughts, the kind of transformational thinking that gets down into our guts. We just sang about our hearts and our minds and our wills. Lord, we pray that your word would get into the groundwater, down into the place of will, of volition, and that you would change things in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you spend any time in church, you've heard these words from from Jesus. So much so that they become, uh, for many of us, almost like a collection of philosophical sayings. Strange sayings, but they seem like these timeless truths coming from Jesus. The first thing I want to say to you, the first movement that we're going to sit with in this passage is this. This sermon from Jesus is not philosophical. Jesus is not giving us a kind of try harder to be a good person. That is not what he's doing. What Jesus is doing here is something very different. I believe that Jesus is announcing something brand new in this sermon. Because if you spend five minutes thinking about the way the world works, you know that mourners are not often comforted. You know that people who are betrayed and wounded oftentimes go to their graves feeling that they didn't receive justice. You know that people who fight for peace don't oftentimes feel peace coming to them. You know that meek people are run over and overlooked most of the time. So Jesus cannot be saying, just this is the way the world works. What Jesus is saying, in my belief, my conviction, is that Jesus is saying that we know how the world works. Strong people win. Violent people rule. Bullies take control. We know how the world works. What Jesus is saying here is that because he has arrived on the scene, something new is happening. And 80% of the time it's business as usual, but there's 20% where something new and something different and something unexpected, something upside down happens. And I believe that Jesus, rather than saying, this is the way the world works, says, this is the way the world works. It's broken. It's powerful. It's bullying. It's coercion. It's all that stuff. But every now and again, something else happens. And because of Jesus, something new is possible for the people of God. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, says this about this passage. He says, if we think of Jesus simply sitting there telling people how to behave properly, we will miss what is really going on. These blessings, the wonderful news that he's announcing, are not saying try hard to live like this. What he's saying is this, according to N.T. Wright. Jesus is saying that people who are already like a certain way are in really good shape and they should be happy and celebrate. Last week I said that Jesus' sermon, we were told, is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I said a good way to reframe that, to take it out of religious language, is to use this phrase. Rethink the direction of your life because something really good from God is approaching you. Something really good is coming. And if you don't rethink your life, you may miss the reception of that really good thing from God. That's what Jesus said over and over and over again. And I believe he's only building on that as we sit with these words in Matthew chapter 5. People around Jesus were beginning to experience unexpected things. People who were in grief were finding God meet them, not just in the afterlife, but in this world. People who were doing um, a a job thanklessly and experiencing oppression were finding themselves strangely, deeply, powerfully comforted. It didn't make any sense to them. And what Jesus is trying to say is that when I come onto the scene, when I enter into the landscape of your life, occasionally things are going to happen to you that you didn't expect. And y'all, we've got to stop and think about this. Or we will miss the power and the thrust of why Christianity exists in the first place. So I want to ask you a question. The second movement in this passage is really a question. Do we expect the unexpected to occasionally occur within the landscape of our life right now? Or have we got it all figured out? Because if you live long enough, you figure out how things work. I know how to get that. I know how powerful people work. I know how systems work. I know how this happens. I know that relationships are bound to let me down. I know that when I'm in pain, nobody's going to care about me because everybody just cares for themselves. We think we understand the way the world works. And I believe that a fundamental question that Jesus puts in front of every spiritually curious person is, are you willing to occasionally be caught off guard and surprised by something that you did not expect? Do we have room or have we been kind of lulled into a cynicism that says, I've lost hope because I know how this thing is going. Some of us walk into this room today and you think, I know how it goes. I get sad. I get stressed. I drink too much. I know how it goes. I work hard. I'm not rewarded. I got to cut corners so that I can get ahead. And we begin to forfeit these parts of who and what we know we're supposed to be because we know how the broken system just keeps spinning on and on and on. And I believe that Jesus wants to ask every single one of us a fundamental question. Would you be willing to begin to make room for expecting the unexpected to come into your life? Would you make room for the fact that God might want to touch the deep pain that you're feeling and bring healing to you? Would you make room in your heart for the fact that that sin struggle that you've been so caught by, that thing that's got you in a grip of hopelessness, might not actually be the end of your story? Would you believe that you're not defined by the worst thing you've ever done? God help us that the brokenness of our systems, they make our worst decision the defining characteristic of who we are. And we can't shake these things. Jesus wants to say something better. I would submit to you, Jesus is saying something better. The third thing we ought to sit with here or we'll miss it is that word blessed. Some some translations like the one in your lap may say happy or fortunate or to be envied. I would say the best way to understand that word blessed are those is this way. Put it up on the screen. Blessed means God has something good to say. If you're in pain, God has something good to say to you. If you are striving for peace in a broken system in your family, God has something good and wonderful and powerful to say to you. It's the good thing coming toward you. If you are mourning, if you feel overlooked, God has something good to say. The thing I love about these blessed sayings is what Jesus is saying is none of us, none of us are excluded from God's goodness coming toward us. None of us, but we live in a world that tells us that's not true. And many of us have grown so cynical and so tired that we're not sure we believe that God has something good to say over our lives. And so the thing just keeps on going. The pattern The cycle just keeps on repeating and every time it repeats and every time we harden and every time we check out and every time we think we know what's going to happen next in that relationship or in our devotional life or in that job or in our bodies, we lose a little bit of that spark that Jesus wants us to have as people who are children of the kingdom of God. And some of you are sitting in this room right now and you feel dog tired. As one songwriter I heard say, you feel tore up from the floor up. (laughs) And you just think, I don't know how long I can keep this thing up. Well, I just want to say to you, Jesus has something really good to say to you. Jesus has something really powerful to say in your life. And what we know is this. Most of our life feels pretty predictable. And nothing's going to change that this side of eternity. Most of the time, bad guys seem to win. Most of the time, the the mourners go to their grave in mourning. Most of the time, the pain of our life doesn't ever get really squared away with a happily ever after. But every once in a while, Jesus wants us to see that seeds of the kingdom of tomorrow. And we said the kingdom of God is shorthand for the culture of God. The ethos, the utopia of what's happening in heaven coming to bear in our life. Do you make room in your life for the seeds of tomorrow to land in the darkness of today? That's what Jesus is saying, I believe, over and over and over and over again. And that leads us to the fourth movement. The good news... The good thing that God has to say is this. My kingdom, God's kingdom, is beginning to unfold against all odds in this world. So do you have room in your imagination for God's kingdom, his power, his reign and rule, his goodness to begin to land in your life? Darkness and all. Do we have room for that happening? Or have we lost hope to the point that we don't even ask those questions or hope those hopes or pray those prayers? The kingdom is the culture of God. And it's those seeds of tomorrow that we have to learn to look for. Because I would submit to you that Jesus is throwing seeds in every life. We just don't always have the eyes to see what he's doing. And we frankly don't know what we're meant to do to cooperate with him. And that's where we're going to end this thing today in just a few minutes. But the seeds of tomorrow landing in today, that's manifested in your life and in mine in ways if we'll just stop and think about it. It's manifested when we think of a Harvard graduate from Delaware who moves to Alabama And sees 140 and counting death row inmates wrongful convictions overturned. Men set free who were wrongly accused. That's tomorrow landing in the landscape of today. Or think about a person in our church. A woman in our church whose husband was brutally murdered a number of years ago. And a number of us sat beside her and her infant child. as she was trying to figure out how do I raise a baby when my husband was doing what he needed to do to provide for my family and our family, and now we're left with so many unanswered questions, it's the kingdom, the seed of tomorrow that lands in a woman's heart like that that says, I will serve God, I will follow God, I will get up, and I will live as if there is goodness and truth in a future for me. And that woman, she fights and advocates against human trafficking in a way that makes my head spin, and she's endured remarkable darkness, Or think about this, the kingdom of God, the seed of tomorrow landing in today happens when a relationship is falling apart. And sometimes that relationship falls apart because it becomes so profoundly broken, so severed, so impaired that it has to end. But it's still the kingdom when a woman would stand and say, I will not harden my heart. I will not act as if I am utterly unsafe. I will do what needs to be done knowing that there is a tomorrow. One of the great reformers was asked the question, what would you do today if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow? And he said, I would plant a tree. That's the kingdom. The kingdom says that whatever it is that you're facing right now does not own you. The kingdom says whatever you're facing now doesn't define you. The kingdom says there is tomorrow. And I believe when Jesus was talking about those seeds landing in our lives, He wasn't talking about happily ever after. He wasn't talking about managing and controlling outcomes. He was saying, live like God's in control and there will be power that will come to you. Or this one. A man with stage four cancer who goes to the doctor and inexplicably receives a clear scan. He doesn't know if it's a miracle, a sign, Or a coincidence, I would submit that that might be a sign of God's kingdom of the future breaking into today. And yet most of our lives is predictably dark. Are you open to the 20%? The occasional, unpredictable, unexplainable reality that reminds you that you're not alone. I want to read you this story from a member of our church. This is my God story I never thought I would become an addict, but I am. I'm a compulsive gambler. I have a beautiful life. A loving husband, two wonderful daughters, a rewarding career as a high school teacher, and I have a church home at Trinity. I took my first trip to Las Vegas for my 40th birthday, I had a great time. The next time I went, about a year later with a friend, I won. I won a lot of money. And a switch seemed to go on. Back home, I found online casinos. I thought, "Hey, it's just entertainment." The online casinos, always in my pocket, started taking more and more of my time and my money. I hid it, I lied, and then I hid and I lied more about everything to my husband, to my girls, to everyone. I was gambling every free second. I would go to work late to gamble. I would come home late, stay up all night. I took out credit cards. I learned how to manage cryptocurrency. My husband didn't know any of this. We had always kept our finances separate. I would mostly lose, and if I won, I would just lose it again. This went on, spiraling. I convinced myself that if I could just get a win, I would get out of this hole. I could handle this. My depression and anxiety grew. My debt was out of control. The week before I told my husband, I was suicidal. The weight and the pain were unbearable. My husband knew something was wrong, but he couldn't quite get to it. Finally, I couldn't take the burden anymore. She says this, hear this, y'all. In the midst of that suicidal darkness, this is what she saw. She said, I couldn't take the burden of secrecy anymore. She interpreted that in this way. The Lord was nudging me hard. I broke down and I told him. I thought he would be gone. Take my girls. I knew I would deserve it. Instead, what I received was love, forgiveness from God. My husband was upset, but he was filled with more grace, more compassion, more forgiveness than I thought humanly possible. He says God gave him strength. He stood by my side. I got help. I started rebuilding a foundation. God walked with me every single step in recovery. I had turned away down a dark path, but the Lord was there the moment I turned to him. I have nearly six months now in recovery Six months. I attend Gamblers Anonymous meetings. I attend therapy. I pray. God is helping remove the shame and the guilt and restore me to become a better wife, a better mother, a better teacher to remember that I'm a child of God. Chris has given me time, prayers, and a little tough love through it all. Trinity's been there for my family and without God's help I wouldn't be here. I will always be a compulsive gambler. That sense of me doesn't go away, but I also will always be loved by the Lord. In Him I am growing. My life is more meaningful than before. I still have a long road, but I'm not alone. I have support, I have forgiveness, and freedom in Jesus. Amen. That is a sign of a seed of tomorrow dropping into a really, really dark place. And I just want to say to you, if Christianity is just about thinking deep thoughts and winning doctrinal arguments... If it's just about how much you know or how much you think. And if y'all spend time with us, we like to think. Ashley's really smart. We at least have one. We like to think deep thoughts. But y'all, it's not just about the thinking. This is about God getting into the groundwater of your life. This is about us being open and able to notice. That sometimes in your deepest darkness... The seed of tomorrow lands right there. The question that we have to ask is, will we notice when those things happen? I want to leave you with this. The last movement is this. I believe that we are invited to tend to the soil of our lives as we cultivate hope to be receptive pertaining to God's seeds of tomorrow. If you're aware of the parable of the sower, I'm just going to tell you this story really quickly. It's a story about a farmer, God, who throws seed everywhere. God is really liberal in terms of where he puts seed. He just throws it everywhere. God's not stingy. He doesn't hold back and go, ah, it does not look a good bet. God's just slinging seed. And the story tells us that some of those seeds land on the path. Some of those seeds, which are seeds of tomorrow, land on hard places, busy places, traveled places. Places that are so hard, so packed down that birds are able to come and just eat it. So the seed's there, but it's just gone before it ever takes root. Cause it's in a busy place. A hardened place. And then some seed land on rocky soil where there's a mixture of soft soil and hard soil. And the story says that those seeds grow, but because of the soil, they can't root and the plants wither when the sun comes up. Cause they don't have root. And those are places where things like cynicism, where unforgiveness, where places of hardness. We call it street smarts. We call it being awake to the world. But maybe the Bible says sometimes it's a hardness that keeps you from being receptive. And then there's thorny soil. And that soil is really soft. But there's a lot of competition there. There are a lot of things growing. And they choke out the good thing. And then there's good soil, tended soil. And good soil doesn't happen by accident. Good soil's cultivated. And you can't do anything about the seeds of tomorrow landing in your life. But what you can do something about is cultivating your life in such a way that you'll notice when God does drop a seed. And I believe that the Lord would put his finger on a few things for us. Where are you so busy and compacted? That you just don't have time to know what God might be up to. Where might there be unforgiveness? Where might your cynicism be carrying you down dark roads? Where you're running the risk of being right about everything and losing a sense of your dignity and your childlikeness. Where are you meant to remove some of the competition? Y'all were so busy. We're, we're open and we're, we're trying to grow so many things. And Jesus says success and comfort, those things sometimes choke out the thing God wants to do. Where do you need to recalibrate? I believe that the thing we can do is we can cultivate soil. We can pull out some weeds. We can tend to some rocks. We can churn up the busy, hard places. And then God gets to do what God can do. I can't make a seed of tomorrow grow in me, but I can live in such a way that I'll see it when it happens. And I think that's true for every single one of us in this room. I pray that you would become increasingly awake to the work of God in you and around you. I pray that you would think about God more than just when you walk through the doors of his church. I pray that we would be those people who are wide awake, seeing things grow in us that don't seem to fit the way things typically work. If you're able to stand together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christlikeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.